0: Praise God! Good to see everybody tonight on a Wednesday night. Praise God! Our Wednesday nights are a little different than Sunday because it's a night that we want to. Uh, re- this is really when discipleship happens in, in, in what we do here at Cornerstone. Um, it's a it's a more uh, I would say down home Bible study living room. Kick your shoes off. Don't pick your feet, but just kick your shoes off. Let your hair down and uh, and get into the Word. Amen. And so Sundays are great. They always are good. We had a great service this Sunday, didn't we? And uh, and then, uh, but you know, I was thinking about this because a lot of people think, you know, when we have services where Pastor Bobby doesn't preach and the worship goes on and ministry takes place, a lot of people say, well, man, the Holy Ghost really moved today. And I really think that that's not a real good uh perspective of how the Holy Spirit moves because you know I think about when Jesus in when he was teaching one time uh, in the gospels and it says that he was there in a house and you know it was it was when uh, it said the scribes and the Pharisees were all around people couldn't get in the house and it says he was just teaching and it said the power of the Lord was present to heal them all every single person that had a need could have got healed Just while Jesus was teaching. Now that's a move of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in one word, the Holy Spirit and his power on one word that said can do what hours of praise and worship can't do. Amen. So we don't need to have you know an attitude where you know Holy Ghost moved, pastor didn't preach. (laughs) No, Holy Ghost moves in the worship, he moves in the word, he moves in the fellowship amen, when we're in the foyer talking to one another, and you can get a word from God right there, amen. So, well, if you've got your Bibles tonight, let's, let's get into the word. We're going to get into some things in the next couple of weeks. I'm excited about it. Some of the uh, stuff that I like to teach the most about our identity in Jesus and, and who we are. Genesis 17 is where we're going to start. I'll tell you a funny story. Maybe you've heard this about Billy Graham uh, it's funny, but it's, it's really, really powerful, too. How many of you remember Arthur Blessed? Raise your hand if you remember Arthur Blessed. Back in the 80s and maybe the early 90s, he was the one that carried the cross all over the world. And a big, you know, wooden cross, and he would carry it in different countries and disassemble it and ship it to, you know, Iran and, and then get out there and carry the cross across Iran. And he was uh, in, in Africa, he and Billy Graham, And they were just out street witnessing one day. No crusade. They were just on the streets witnessing to people. It's kind of cold. And uh, Arthur was telling this story while he was on TBN one night with Billy Graham. And uh, uh, Billy Graham had a long overcoat on and sunglasses. And they were out just telling people about Jesus. And, uh, you know, an evangelist is not just an evangelist in the pulpit. They're an evangelist all the time. And so Billy Graham started witnessing to this guy on the street. And as he's witnessing to him, you know, trying to get him to give his heart to the Lord, the guy says to him, well, I'll tell you what, I have heard of a man in America named Billy Graham. And if I could ever meet him, I think I would give my heart to the Lord. <laughs> Billy Graham took his sunglasses off <laughs> and he said, I'm Billy Graham. Led the guy to the Lord right there. Cool story. <clears throat> right place, right time, right? Right. Genesis 17 is where we're going to start. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that it's life to all of us who find it. As Proverbs says, it's health to all of our flesh. We expect nothing less than life and light to manifest. As we open the pages of your anointed word, as we get into it, we expect the Holy Spirit to to just give us light, show us things that we need to see, remind us of things that we have seen And bring us into a greater part of your inheritance that we're to walk in in these last days. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Genesis 17, verse 1. We're going to start right there. It says, when Abram was 99 years old. and this is before the Lord uh, changed his name to Abraham. His name was Abram. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me. And be blameless. And I'll make my covenant between me and you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and talked with God, and talked with him, saying, And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Notice the H that he put in there. It's actually, in our English language, it's an H. In the Hebrew language, it's 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 a sound uh, of a breath, which is the name of God. When they said the name of God, it it was a breath. That's where God breathed life into Adam. He breathed his spirit into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. And so God changed Abram's name from Abram to who he was in the natural, to Abraham, a man in covenant with God. And he said, for I've made you. He said, your name's going to be called Abraham, for I have made you. In other words, I've already done this. I've made you a father of many nations. You know the story up until this time, he hasn't even had one son yet. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants and after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And then skip down to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai. In other words, do not call, command from God, do not call her what you've been calling her. Do not call yourself Abram. He said, but Sarah will be her name. Put the H in her name too. Sarah will be her name and I will bless her and I will also give you a son by her and then then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. All through the scripture you'll see this. You you know, many, many times God changed people's name. He changed Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. He changed uh, Jacob to Israel. Remember that when he was wrestling with the angel? He changed Saul's name to Paul. Simon Peter, who went by Simon, he said, from now on, your name is Peter. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And so listen to these scriptures just write them down for reference, but definitely go back and study them for yourself. Isaiah 62 and verse 2, it says, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. He's not talking about God, he's talking about the people of God. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. And so you can see, you can say that God's in the name-changing business, right? He changes people's names, but he doesn't just change people's name. To God, a name is the same as an identity. You know, he wouldn't just change somebody's name just because he doesn't like the name. You know, your name's Billy Bob, we're going to call you Fred from now on. You know, I don't like Billy Bob. Fred's just a better name. But he doesn't do that. Actually, God has an identity in mind, and that name refers to the identity. That's why he said, your name's now Abraham. For I have made you, here's the identity, I've made you a father of many nations. And then Sarah's name meant something. Isaac, who, who you know, uh, Jacob, who, who actually his name meant deceiver. He wrestled with the angel and God changed his name to Isaac. Which means what? Anybody remember? I mean to Israel. Which means what? A prince with God. In other words, you're no longer a deceiver. I see you as a prince with God. And if you're ever going to become a prince with God, we've got to start calling you something different, right? If you're ever going to put on the identity that God has for you, you've got to start calling yourself what God calls you. Listen to Revelations 2.17. It says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I'll give him some of the hidden manna to eat and I'll give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. In other words, this name is going to be so unique, it's going to be so personal to you that it's, nobody else is going to be named this. In other words, it's actually the word, when when God says, when he uses the word uh, there is no one like me or I am unlike any other, it's, a, it's, it's the word holy. We think of holy and we think of, you know, no sin, you know, free from sin or abstaining from sin or, oh, that person is really holy, you know. Or maybe, you know, some people think of it by the way people dress or the way they act. But holy in, in, the, in the Bible actually means to be so separate that there is no one else like it. And that's what this means here. He said, I'm going to give you a name that nobody's going to know except you. In other words, it's going to be so unique. What The identity that I have for you is so unique, nobody else is going to have that identity. You know that's true in the body of Christ? You know, there are evangelists and prophets and teachers and pastors. And, you know, a lot of times we think, well, that's that's this person's identity. No, that's, that's just part of their calling. But identity is much deeper than the title that we give a person. And everybody's identity in the body of Christ is holy and unique. Nobody has an identity like me. What God has called me to do and the things He's anointed me to do, you know, there may be some similarities in other people, but my calling and my identity is unique. I heard Lisa Bevere say this years ago. She said, That the Lord spoke to her and said, I don't love my children the same. How many of you got more than one child? Raise your hand. You can probably relate to this. And maybe this will help you (laughs) love your children better. Because, you know, kids get in this comparison thing. And we do too as, as adults, you know. Who do you love more? Who do you like more? You know, teenagers start having friends and they have best friends because they're the the one that they like the most. And and the Lord said to Lisa, he said, I don't love my children the same. He said, I love them uniquely. In other words, my love is an individual, totally personal love for each and every one of them. I I don't love them all the same. I love them uniquely. You know, we think, you know, we think we're supposed to love everybody the same. Well, really, when it comes to the nature of God, he doesn't do that. He loves you uniquely. He loves you for you. Not because you act like somebody else or are like somebody else or because you do better than somebody else. God loves you just like you are because of you, because of his choice to love you. And he loves you uniquely. So you can't, you can't compare. When when God loves you uniquely and treats you uniquely, that does away with comparison. Right? Because now I'm holy. So the scripture says, be holy as God is holy. We we read that and we think, well, stop sinning. That's not what holiness actually means. And we know God is separate, you know, he's separate from sin, and, and, but it's so much bigger than that. God is, is unlike any other being or thing or so-called God or anything else. He is, there is no one like him. When you understand this, it, it makes it so much deeper to worship him because you're, worship, you're not worshiping somebody that's kind of like Buddha or somebody that's a little bit better than Muhammad or, or anything like that. God, there is no other God but God. You can, you can call people God and fashion a God, but there is no other God but God. He's the only God. There is no one like him. He is so far removed from anything else that you can't even compare him. You can't say, well, God is like peanut butter, good, you know, or God is like ice cream or ribeye steaks or, you know, he's bigger. Anything you try to compare God to, he's bigger, he's better. That's why he is who he is. Amen. And so God has a, a, and this identity in mind, had this identity in mind for you and me the scripture says, before the foundations of the world. Now think about that. He's so big and he's so powerful and omniscient uh, that before the world was ever formed, God already had a destiny for you, an identity for you, and he, he, in his mind, this, was, this is something that was finished in his heart. Now it wasn't finished in reality when it came to your life because you weren't even born yet. But you weren't born, and then God said, "Hey, angels, we need to we need to come up with an identity for this." one. I didn't see this one coming. You know, this one, the mom and dad didn't plan this one. This one was unplanned, and so we got to come up with an identity. You 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 may not have planned, or you may be someone who wasn't planned, like me. I was my, I was actually conceived out of wedlock, and you know, according to you know, what people say, you're, 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 it was an unplanned pregnancy. And, uh, but God saw before the foundation of the world that I would be here, created a plan for my life, formed a unique identity for me, and finished it just like you did Abraham. And then I was born into a plan. You were born into an identity. You know, when the scripture says you've been predestined in Ephesians chapter 1, it simply means that the destiny that you have in life was here before you were. You were born into something that God's already finished. And the cool thing about it is in Ephesians 1, it says that you were predestined in love, not in some human form of love, but in the love that God is, he predestines you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He fully intends you to walk in all the power that Jesus walked in. He fully intends for you to walk in all the victory and success that Jesus walked in. He fully intends for you to walk in all the love that Jesus walked in. You say, but I'm human. Well, that's because you're, you're calling yourself Abram. And you need to find out who Abraham is. And you need to find out who your name is and your identity. You find it out starting out here. And then as you worship and begin a fellowship with God, he begins to communicate more of it to you. It begins to get more specific. It starts out very general in here. You find out all the scriptures that tell you who you are and what God's called you to do and what you can do and, and what God's called you to be. But then as you begin to walk in the light of that, God begins to give you more. That's the cool thing. And, and you're, you'll, you'll never get to the end of it. You'll never get, you know, 40, 50 years old and God go, that's all I planned for. And people talk about, well, you know, so-and-so, they died. Well, his time was up. No, the scripture says that God will satisfy you with long life. You can live as long as you want to live. That has to do with understanding the knowledge of, of who you are and, and authority that you have and, and things like that. But, you know, there's not a magic Number that God gave you when you were born, you know, and when you when you hit that number, you're gone, and, and nobody can stop it. That that's not scriptural. But there are lots of scriptures that tell you, "With long life will he satisfy you, and show you his salvation." The number of your days, he told Israel in the Old Testament, the number of your days will be multiplied. Amen. And and not just multiplied in a nursing home somewhere. Powerful life, Amen. Now watch this scripture Romans 4, four. We're gonna I'm gonna read that. Write this down. I'm, I'm I'm laying kind of a foundation, but I got somewhere that I want to get to. Romans four, verse seventeen. It says, "As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations." He's referring back to Genesis seventeen. In the presence of Him who believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that be not as though they are. Yes. Now. This is so important right here because Romans four seventeen it actually defines part of the language of God. How many of you have ever been to a foreign country that speaks a different language before? Raise your hand. Uh, how many of you went to that country and you didn't know that language? Raise your hand. You remember the limitations that you felt? Remember how, you know, when you wanted to talk to somebody, you know, you just do charades and all the hand motions and everything, and they just kind of look at you like, because you didn't know the language. You know, a lot of people don't know God's language. A lot of people try to walk with God and live in the kingdom, and they don't know God's language. God has a language that He speaks. And the Word teaches you His language. It teaches you how He talks. And here it says that God calls things. This is how He operates. God calls things that be not as though they were. Now, kind of a parallel scripture to that is in Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. Turn there. Isaiah 46, verse 9. You need to see this one. This is, this is a really good one. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. God's talking here and he says remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other there's that holiness of God right there again I'm God and there is no other he says I am God and there is none like me there's that there's the holiness of God right there D- Here's here's what he says, here's here's how I operate, here's how I act. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. So this is how God operates. He calls those things that be not, He, he declares the end from the beginning. And actually, what what the way God works is because because we in Ephesians when we know that Jesus was the Lamb of God crucified before the foundation of the world, so the work the finished work of Jesus wasn't finished, you know, two thousand years ago. Actually, you got to go back way further. You got to go back before the world was ever framed, and God, in His power and in His omniscience right there, decided before he ever created the world, before any created being, God decided Jesus would die for our sins, be raised on the third day, and give us an inheritance and cause us to reign in life through his power and his grace. He already decided that. So because Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world, we see how God operates. He he has something that he wants to accomplish. He He goes out to the end and he finishes it. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. You were predestined before you ever got here. So God, in his omniscience, goes out and finishes something. Now, in the process, he does give us a free will. So you still have to choose to cooperate with God. You're not just a robot. You don't think God's not... You know, the, the, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain just making everything happen like he wants it to happen. He works in the context of man's free will. But God runs out to the end. He finishes it. Then he backs up to the beginning. And he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. And he begins to say what he wants to come to pass. He begins to call those things that be not as though they are. Why? Because in our realm they haven't happened yet. In his realm, they've already happened. Why? Because time doesn't exist in the realm of God. We function in a realm called time. And it's a curse sometimes. When people get in faith, they, they believe God, and they put, a, they put a time limit on how long they're going to believe God. We're going to trust God for two months, and if God doesn't come through, then I guess it doesn't work. Well, you put time in the issue. God stands outside the realm of time. When when people talk about where did God come from, God says, I am. But when were you born, God? I am. When is a word that is about time. And so you can't can't define the realities of God based on words that relate to time. That's why when Moses said, who do I tell him sent me? They're going to want to know who's backing me up. He said, tell them I am sent you. And I'm sure Moses was like, I am? What am you? (laughs) And God would probably say, well, I am whatever you need me to be. I am. I'm not I will be. I'm not I was. I am. Present tense, always but working in the context of our future. But if we're going to hook up with him and walk with him, we got to learn his language, and we got to learn how he operates, right? And so he says right there in, uh, in Isaiah again, he said, I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. That's why he said, remember the, the way this worked a long time ago. Remember the things of old. Remember how I worked in times past. And you'll get a clue of how I work. You'll get a clue of how I operate. Because if you're going to walk with me, you're going you're to walk with me. And you're going to walk in step with me. When I step, you step, right? We're going to learn his language. If, if you want to talk to me, learn about me. Amen? That's what Jesus said. If you're worn out. If you're heavy laden, burden come and learn of me. Learn how I do things. Cuz this is how it works. If you want to rest, if you want to have real rest in your life, Jesus said come and watch me. Watch how I do this. So, in order for God, now now watch this, in order for God to get Abraham where he wanted to get him. Now, in God's mind, he has a son. In God's mind, You know, he's the father of many nations. In God's mind, he's the father of our faith. In in God's mind, this is already done. And so God says, okay, in order for Abraham to come into this identity that I have for him, this father of many nations, I've got to get him to talk different. I've got to get him to call things that be not as though they were like I do. I've got to get him to declare the end from the beginning. And it's, this may sound complicated, but it's really the this, this simple faith that we're supposed to walk in that sounds crazy to the world, but God expects us to hook up with him. And so A- Abraham, he changed his name, and thereby he changed his identity. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians. Next week, we're going to get into some specifics of our identity and, and what the Scripture says about you know, who you are and and what you have. And these are these are some things that you may have heard before, but but I believe the Holy Spirit can can make them real to you on a level that you haven't heard before. That's how I read the Bible. I mean, I don't read the Bible, and go, well, I've read this chapter before. I guess I'll read it again. No, I, I read it like Holy Spirit, show me this on a level that I've never seen it before. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Open my eyes to see what you're saying here and the depths of what's in the scripture here. And then that he will. You he, he, he Read the Bible with the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So God needs your cooperation just like he needed Abram's cooperation and changed his name to Abraham. God needs our cooperation to bring us into what he has in store for us. Listen, you don't want to get to the end of your life and and stand before God and find out that his plan for you is different than what you lived on the earth, do you? I don't. I want to know that, that, that I, I got in I got in the, the groove of his plan and followed that, maybe not perfectly, and, and I know he's merciful and, and all of that. I hadn't been perfect and everything, but I want to, I, when, I, when I get to that time when I stand before him, I want to have some confidence that I followed his plan for my life. Amen? And it's not hard. God's not hiding it from you. He's hiding it for you. Amen it is hidden and revealed in measures because if you got all of it up front you just mess it all up you try to figure out how you could bring it to pass amen right i mean if you if you found out 2 years before you were married if god showed you who you were going to marry you'd mess that all up <laughs> right I mean, you try to make it happen, you know, and and do things that, you know, do crazy things and goof it all up. But so God reveals his plan to us in stages when we can handle it, as we seek him, as we walk with him. So it's not hidden from us, it's hidden for us. And I believe we hadn't even scratched the surface of it yet. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Does that sound like past tense to you? Are you being reconciled or has he already reconciled you? You've already been reconciled. So this has already taken place. We've been reconciled to Jesus Because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us that word of reconciliation. He's committed to us that word of the finished work. What's already taken place, that message has now been delegated to us. We now have the authority and the power to take that as far as we want to take it, to the ends of the world. And he says, now then, We are ambassadors for Christ. Just like God said to Abram, you're a father of many nations. God is saying to you tonight, you're my ambassador. You're my representative. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So let me ask you a question. Are you the righteousness of God? Yeah. Are you walking in all the reality of that righteousness? No. Are you walking in all the power of that? I'm not. I mean, I'm, it, some of it I am, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the revelation that I have of my righteousness. But as that's revealed to me, God is bringing me into the fullness of that identity that I have. I'm already righteous. I'm not going to get any more righteous than I am right now. If you're in Jesus, you can't be any more righteous than you are right now. You can grow in the knowledge of it, and you can learn to cooperate with it, but you're not going to get any more than you've got. Why? Because it says here that you've been made the righteousness of God. So God gave you his, you can't get any more righteous than God. And so to think that you could be more righteous than you are, you're saying, well, I, I need more. God said, you don't need more, you got mine. Amen? <clears throat> does a, When a baby's born, does he need more of a body to be a real baby? Well, he's got everything he's got, ever going to have. It's going to grow and develop, but he's got everything. And we have everything that we need in Christ. So we've got to begin to call ourselves by this new identity. Now, Go to, go with go with me to Romans chapter eight. We're going to spend a little time here in Romans eight. <clears throat> God has to get us to cooperate with this new identity, so He changes our name. He changes our identity. Now the Scripture says you're a son of God, not in the future. It says, "Beloved, now." First John chapter three. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? And it does not yet appear. You can't really see the fullness of what well, we shall be, but we know. That when he is revealed, finish it for me. Those of you that know that scripture, we shall be like him. Now, if you read that verse wrong, you you read it and you and you put a a rapture translation on it. Well, we know that when Jesus appears, we're going to all be like him. That's not what that's saying. It actually says. That at the revelation, there's a real bad translation in the King James and the New King James. But it actually says that when when Christ, the anointed one, when the revelation of Christ comes to you, you'll see that you're like him. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, as he is now, so are we in the world. We have his nature. We have his identity. We have his righteousness. We have equal sonship with him. We're joined heirs with him, heirs of God, and joined heirs with Christ. There is nothing that Jesus did or was that he left out that he did not bring you into. You are now in Christ. Amen. You are in Jesus. Not only is Jesus in you. But you are in Christ. I like to to use an illustration that I've used before about, you you know, he gave you a, a Jesus suit. Zips up in the front. And you unzip it and you put one leg in his leg and the other leg in the other leg. You put one arm in his arm and the other arm in the other arm. And then you put the head on and then you zip it up. And now you're in Christ And everything that Christ is is in you. And everything that you are should be in Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. This is your new nature. This is your new identity. And if you don't ever, if you don't ever hear what God's calling you and begin to call yourself that, you'll never come into the fullness of what God intended for you to come into. Do you see that? So it's so important. That you have a spirit of, of revelation about you when you read the word, so that you, don't, you know the difference between the old and the new covenant. You know that it's in the new covenant that all the things that we find out who we are in Christ is revealed. And so when you read the Bible, you spend more time in the new covenant than you do the old covenant. Why? Because that's where, let me ask you, you live in Alabama, right? Have you, how many of you ever lived in another state? Mississippi, Florida? Where do you spend all your time now? Where you live? Where do you live in the Bible? Old covenant or new covenant? New covenant. You don't want to live under the old covenant. It's the covenant of the law. You have to uphold all the law. You have to do everything right to be right with God. In the new covenant, Jesus did everything right for you and gave you his righteousness. That's better. So if you live in the new covenant, spend most of your time in the new covenant or you won't find out the revelation of your identity. Old Covenant's important. We see examples and examples of of what God did and, and how he worked with mankind and how he brought the Messiah into the world, but we live in the New Covenant. You need to spend the vast majority of your Bible reading time in the New Covenant. You even need to know that there's a lot of things in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John that are Old covenant. Because the new covenant didn't come into effect until Jesus was raised from the dead. And he's still operating as a, as a teacher and a prophet and under the Old Testament law. He fulfilled the law for us so we wouldn't have to, so that by faith we could receive the righteousness of God. And the more we see that and the more we begin to uh, see ourselves that way, in every situation you're not going to get set free from habits and hang-ups and sins because you try so hard you're going to get set free because you believe how righteous you are. Nobody ever got set free by preachers pounding on the pulpit telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. That just made people more mad, frustrated, and bitter. What sets you free is when you begin to step into Christ because he walked free from it, and you can't walk free from it apart from being in him. Amen. So as the anointed one is revealed to you, then you'll see I'm a son. I've got sonship. I'm I'm not seated beside Jesus in heavenly places. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I'm in the same seat as him. Scoot over, Jesus. This is my seat too. And I have a position as sonship with him. Now, the more I find out about that and see myself that way and look into the mirror of God's word so that it reveals who I am in Christ, the more I walk out the reality of that. But can you see how millions of Christians in the church today, I mean millions and millions, don't even have the knowledge of being in Christ. They're still trying to live for God under a mixture of the old covenant and the new covenant. And you've got to entirely live for God under the new covenant. You can't live for God with a mixture of the old and new. Well, I like the old, I like the new, I like a little mixture of them both. You can't do that. That's the story that Paul told the church in Galatia uh, about the bondwoman. When Abraham had a son by the bondwoman. In other words, he you know, he found out who he was. He found out he's going to be a father of many nations. And, and God had a plan for that. But Abraham said, let's get this thing on. I'm ready to get this thing worked out. I mean, I've waited all my life. Let's make this happen. My handmaiden over here is looking pretty good. And actually Sarah came to him and said, won't you, you know, I'm kind of old, you know, I I don't have like you anyway, so why don't you just go and and maybe lay with her and have a son by her. And Abraham, you know, he didn't argue with her. He was like, okay, we could make that happen. And so Ishmael was born. The biggest thorn in the side that would ever be to Israel to this day is the Arab nations, which came from Ishmael. When you try to make things happen, apart from living in the peace and the rest of your identity, you will mess things up. And so so Paul, go back and read in Galatians 4 and 5. Paul told him. he said, the son of the bondwoman and the son of the free, speaking of Isaac, Ishmael and Isaac, they can't live in the same house. And Sarah, you know, she's getting irritated at this because now her son is born and Ishmael's born to Hagar, the handmaid, and they're growing up in the same house. And they're arguing and fussing and fighting. Can you imagine two wives had, the, had a son by the same husband living under the same roof? That ain't happening. It ain't going to happen. And so they're getting mad and Sarah comes to him, and she says, she's got to go. I want her out and I want the boy out. This is her idea. But I want them out. So Abraham, you know, he goes to God. He says, God, you know, I'm having some some domestic problems here. What do I do? And God said, Sarah's right. Go to the bondwoman, Hagar, go to the son. Give them food and things, but send them on their way and kick them out of your house because the son of a bondwoman cannot live with the son of a free woman. What's he talking about? This is new covenant in Galatians. He's saying that you can't live under both covenants. You can't mix the old with the new. There is an identity of you revealed in the new, and you can't try to live for God under the old while you're trying to live in Christ under the new. It doesn't work. He says, send her away, kick her out cast out the bondwoman is what Galatians says cast her out that means to thrust her out leave never come back that had to be emotional for abram abraham this is his son too and all of a sudden this son you know he's 100 years old this son he he's got to send them on their way out into the wilderness and never see him again it's it, it's a hard story for him to learn but it's for us today to teach us that we can't try to live for God in this new identity that's supposed to have peace and rest and power and dominion and authority. We can't live that out trying to live for God in the work of our flesh. Trying to make ha- things happen in the work of our flesh. Do you find Romans 8? If you didn't, you probably won't. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> now listen to this, verse 1. I love Romans 8 more than I, I love steak, and I love steak. I love Romans chapter 8 probably more than any, I, I, don't, I, don't, I guess because I, I've seen so much in it. There's so much revelation in Romans 6 and 7 and 8 about who we are in Jesus. So Romans chapter 8, and by the way, if you've ever read Romans chapter 7, if you don't understand New Covenant realities, you will not understand Romans chapter 7. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I'm just like Paul. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do. And there's this struggle always going, I guess I'm just like Paul. Paul had that problem. Paul didn't have that problem. In Romans chapter 7, almost the entire chapter, Paul is referring and, and, and revisiting the time when he was trying to live for God under the law. And that struggle, that inner turmoil that he had in wanting to do something and and ending up doing what he didn't want to do, all of that was about living trying to live for God under the law, which is where a lot of people live today. But we're a new covenant, we're in Christ. And so Romans 6, he reveals who we are in Jesus, how we were died with him, buried with him, resurrected with him, seated with him. And he talks about how the man of sin is dead now, and we're now alive. and We can now present ourselves as, as, as instruments of righteousness to God. And That means when you worship God, you come before God and say, hey, God, I'm righteous because of your blood. I have access into your presence because of your blood. Nothing that I've done, nothing that I have to do, I have peace with you. Everything's good. Nothing's broken because of what you did for me. You're supposed to present yourself to God that way. I don't know about you, but when the first few years of my Christian life, when I came to God and prayed, I didn't present myself to God that way. I spent the first 15 minutes of my prayer time repenting because I felt so unworthy. When all the while, I didn't know he had made me worthy. And I was supposed to change my name from Abram to Abraham, from unrighteous to righteous, from sinner to saint. And see myself that way and do like what Hebrews chapter 4 says, come before the throne of God with boldness because of what he's made me, not because of what I have produced. So he comes to Romans chapter 8. Romans 6, revelation of who you are. Romans 7, the struggle of how when it was under the law, how hard it was. And then he says, who shall set me free from from this bond of death? And then he says, thanks be to God. Then he refers back again. He says, So, what with the flesh? I try to serve the law of man, but with my heart, I want to serve the law of God. And then he says, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 now. Everybody say now. Now, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh. There's that old covenant living. Trying to do it in your own strength, but according to the Spirit, because of the work of the Spirit. Now, I'll give you a little hint about Romans chapter 8. The whole chapter of Romans chapter 8 is talking about life in the flesh versus life in the Spirit. And life in the flesh is referring to you trying to live for God in your own strength, making things happen in your own strength. Life in the Spirit is... Is about you yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit now because you're in Christ. Amen. When you you read it like that, then it starts coming alive. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh anymore, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do In that it was weak, the law was weak. Why? Because of our flesh. The law wasn't weak, but our flesh made it a weak covenant. The law was good. The law was holy, he said, but because of our flesh. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus, if you want to see God's intention of what the law was supposed to do, Look at what Jesus did. Jesus lived according to the law perfectly. And the new covenant reveals that he did it by yielding to the Holy Spirit and accessing grace. He fully obeyed the law. Why? Because he knew you couldn't do it. So he did it for you. That the righteous, verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the work and the power of the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, under the law, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they're mindful of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded produces death, but to be spiritually minded produces life and peace. You know, that's what we're all after. That's what humanity is after. They're after life and peace. People that have not even been born again—you know what they want? They don't even know it. They want life and peace. Just get this struggle off my back. Just give me some peace. Just—I I, just—I just want everything to be right. I mean, will anything? Will it ever be right? Not without Jesus, and never under the old covenant, but only when you step into your Jesus suit. Only when you step into Christ and say, I cannot do it in my own power, but Jesus gave it to me as a gift. I can receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, and I can reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Through the one Jesus Christ. There's your revelation of your identity. In him, through him, because of him, by him, all those scriptures that use those phrases, they all reveal our new name, our new identity. So let me close with this, and then we'll get we're going to get into this next week and get into specifics about what the Bible says you are, what about who the Bible says you are, the the dynamics of our name. God is endeavoring. This is why cornerstone exists. this is why every new covenant church exists, whether they know it or not, this is why church is in the earth. Now, I know a lot of churches are off the the path of what they're supposed to be and you know, and, and churches that I've pastored, we have been at times too. But this is, why, this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm going to put this institution in the earth called church, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. In other words, that's the power they're going to walk in. That's the authority that they're going to live in. The, the very governmental, gate's a governmental word, Watergate. you know, all those, it's a governmental word. The gates, the, the governmental system of hell is not going to prevail against the church that I'm intended to have in the earth. Amen. And so this is why Cornerstone exists. This is why we have pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles and evangelists in the body of Christ to equip the saints to this end right here. God is endeavoring to bring us to a place. And you can't just get this on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. you, you gotta get, you got to get in this for yourself. Amen. We can just we can just stir you up and point you that way, but man, Pastor Bobby can't give it to you. Any any anybody this this call of God can't lay their hands on you and deposit this in you. This is not something that's imparted from something to another. This is something that you discover, and that you by faith begin to walk in. Here's what God's endeavoring to do. He's endeavoring to bring us to the place. Now get this. He's endeavoring to bring us to the place, you and I, to the place where we are spiritually minded and not carnally minded. Every message preached, every program we do should be to that end right there. To bring us to the place to where we are spiritually minded. What does that mean to be spiritually minded? He said spiritually minded brings life and peace. Carnally minded brings death. It produces death. This is all kind of manifestations of death. But they all come from being carnally minded. God's endeavoring to get us to the place where we are spiritually minded. Listen, grace works on the platform of a spiritually minded person. Grace can't even operate continually in your life if you're not spiritually minded. Because when you're carnally minded, the scripture says you're frustrating the grace of God. You're falling short. You're not accessing it. You're not plugging into it. It's not really working in your life. Grace is God's power. That's what he's talking about. The power to do what you can never do in your own strength. Grace is the ability to zip yourself up in Christ and do life like Jesus did it. That's what grace is. It empowers you. What empowered Jesus is what's supposed to empower the church. It's the anointing, it's the power of the Spirit. So God is trying to get us to the place where we are spiritually minded. Now, that's not some twilight zone place that you live in. Doo, 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 doo. That person is no good because they're just so spiritually minded. No, spiritually minded means that you are continually aware and trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. For everything, for everything, to raise your kids, to be a good wife or a husband, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly, and it ain't life under the law. It's life in Christ. It's your new identity. It's who you are, it's who you're destined to be. But we've got to begin to see that and and trust in have faith in and rely on and be aware of that every waking moment of your life, you have access to the power of your spirit. But I hadn't read the word today, don't matter. Reading the word's good, it'll help you out a lot. But it won't make you any more righteous than you are right now. And because you're righteous, you have access into his grace. Not because you do everything right. Can I just prophesy over you all right now? Thus saith the Lord, you don't do everything right. That's prophesied over you. You don't, I don't. But my righteousness is not based on what I do. My righteousness is based on what he did. And so even in my habits and hangups, I can come over and step into my Jesus suit and say, Father, in myself, I have failed in myself. I don't measure up, but I am not in myself. I am in my Jesus suit. I am zipped up in Jesus. I am in Christ. It's my new identity. I'm righteous like he is. I'm a son like he is. And I have 24-7 access into the power of your spirit. And every time something comes against my life, what I need to learn to do is, is check with the Holy Ghost. All right, Holy Ghost, what you got for me in this? I know you got some power for me in this. I know you got some strength. And see, if you, if you try to live under the law, you're just going to get condemned. Because all the law tells you is you can't do this and you shouldn't do this and you did and you're guilty. And guilt is going to keep you far away from the, from the grace of God. But a, a cleansed conscience by the blood of Jesus and a righteous awareness that I am righteous like Jesus is, apart from my performance. That's the good news, is I didn't perform for this. I don't have to maintain this. I'm in it. I'm in Jesus. I'm in the anointing. Some, uh, you know, And the Lord's anointed me, uh, just like he's anointed you. My anointing happens to be in the area of teaching and, and, and things like that. I've had some of my best teachings when I didn't even feel like being here or being wherever I was because I've learned that it all doesn't come out right when I do everything right. It comes out right when I'm trusting in his grace. And if I trust in the power of his spirit, he'll work out all the kinks, he'll do, he'll, 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 you know, the things that I need to be free from, he'll get me free from those, but I can't focus on those things and say, oh, I didn't read my Bible this week or I didn't do this. So you're trying to maintain something. You need to trust in the power of his spirit. You're anointed. You're righteous. Your name has been changed. And we're in Christ. And as you walk out these doors tonight, you walk out in Christ. I don't care what kind of day you had before you came in here. I hope you walk out of these doors realizing that you're as as anointed as you're ever going to get. You're as righteous as you're ever going to get. Learn to step over the threshold of all the problems in your life and tap into the power of the Spirit right where you are. Well, if I believe that, then I'll just, if people believe that, they'll just do whatever they want to do. No, they won't. Are you telling me that when you begin to experience the freedom of Jesus, you're going to cheat on him? Some people do. It's because their heart's messed up. People hear the revelation of who they are in Jesus, they fall in love with him. You've got to be kidding me. This is what Isaiah was talking about when he said, who's going to believe our report? This is so good. This is so incredible. Who's going to believe this? For Thousands of years man's been trying to get right with God through every program and every cult and every denomination and everything that man's ever come up with. Usually it's in an attempt to be right with God. So Jesus shows up on the scene and says, stop it. Take it as a gift. You're right with me. You're righteous. You're as righteous as you're ever going to get. Enjoy it. Start, start having peace. I go to Africa every year. I leave in 10 days and, and go to Africa again and teach in a school there. And, and there's about 200 students there in a school. And uh, <clears throat> so I teach on understanding righteousness and grace. And, and so for like in a 16-day period, I'll teach like 35 times. And the the students that are there in the school it's a ministry school they get saturated with this every day for hours every day they get saturated with this and then at the end of the class they all have to write a paper and it's, it's part of their grade and they have to they have to explain what has happened in your mind and in your heart as you've been sitting and hearing about grace and righteousness what what's what's going on what 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 would you get out of it and I'm telling you, 80 to 90% of them, some of them are just writing, you know, their heart's not really in it. But some of them that really express their heart, every one of them say, I have peace in my life now. I have peace in my relationship with God now. I get up and I experience peace with God. Where before I thought I had to fast, I thought I had to pray, I thought I had to maintain this. And I was always aware of what I hadn't done and how much I needed to do. And and their whole life was just like my life, was caught up in the struggle of that. But when the revelation of Christ comes, you find out I'm in him. And now I got peace. Got things in my life that I hadn't done right? Oh, yeah. You'd be surprised. Maybe even shocked. My standing with him is not based on that. He's, he's working all my stuff out. Just like I'll, I'll prophesy over you again. God is working all your stuff out. As you trust in him and call yourself who he calls you. Amen.